Windale's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, Monsieur Mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, what is happening, konnichiwa, my brothers and sisters, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, que pasa, mi amigos, chicas, chico, señores, señoritas, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, so glad that you could be with us, shalom, my brothers and sisters, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, Wumbo. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Boy, on a night when being an American, I don't know how low we can go, but we have solidified ourselves without question. Those in other countries who are listening to this podcast, number one, I thank you very much. And number two, everything that you are inquiring, any anything that you had in terms of your opinions about what American people are tonight, they were confirmed. Yes, sir, folks, the American public, the American people, we are, I include myself in that because I live in this country, we are the stupidest people walking the face of the earth. If you saw that debate and you saw who was the president of the United States. Oh, and guess what? For just confirmation on your thoughts and opinions about how stupid and arrogant and out of touch we are. There's going to be multiple, multiple states and millions upon millions of people who are going to vote for that ignorant piece of shit that was on the stage, whose name I will not refer to. Welcome to America, land of the free, home of the free, land of the stupid. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I'm going to, um, on this podcast today, I'm going to shake this up a little bit, because there's a lot of things I want to talk about. I've been watching a lot of uh, football been watching a lot of basketball, been doing a lot of things to try to keep the roof over my head, the clothes on my back, food in my belly and in my refrigerator and on my table and all those type of things. So because of that, but working a little bit more to where um, I haven't been able to put out multiple podcasts a week in a little while, and I've been backed up on what I want to talk about. So I will also keep my podcast under four hours. So uh, there's a lot of things that I want to get to, but I want to break it up. So here's what we're going to do. For this podcast right here, Wendell's World of Sports, uh, which you can find on any podcast hosting site that you uh, listen to, you can find Wendell's World of Sports, yours truly, Wendell Wallace, speaking about what's going on. I'm going to be talking about the NBA, going to be talking about the NBA Finals, going to be talking about the storylines of the NBA Finals, going to be talking about what's next for the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets. I'm going to be talking about uh, Bam out of Bayou. I'm going to be talking about the Heat culture and how Bam out of Bayou and, and Tyler Hero fit that uh, culture to a T. going to be speaking about Jimmy Butler. going to be speaking about everything concerning the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers, the two participants in the NBA Finals, which I'm recording this on a Tuesday night after the debates are over and some of the yapper yappers on CNN and MSNBC are talking about it. So now I'm in a good frame of mind. I'm in a good peace of mind. My mind is now ready to divulge 
into what I want to talk about concerning the NBA Finals. So, depending upon when you listen to this podcast, um, this is going to be published on an early, early Wednesday morning. So, it'll be right before Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Game 2 is going to be on a Friday. Game 3, I don't know if it's Game 3 is going to be on a Sunday or what, but going up against the NFL, that's interesting. Kind of new. Kind of new for the NFL, uh, for the NBA. But um, So, that's the schedule. So, you know, I'm just going to give a general overview. I'm not going to give my predictions in terms of who's going to be winning the series. I don't know. That's one of the great things about sports, as I've always said before. The greatest reality show there is. I don't know who's going to win. I don't know who's going to do what. I don't know who's going to be the MVP. I don't know who's going to be stepping up. So I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to relax. I'm going to watch. I'm going to observe. And I'm going to give you, give you my thoughts and opinions through viewing, homework, all of those things. So... Those are going to be on podcasts down the road. But for this podcast, mainly, again, it's going to be about the NBA Finals and what's going on in the NBA. Hey, I have a YouTube channel, too. It's just, you know, Wendell's World of Sports. I have a YouTube channel. I've done about four or five episodes, which has gotten a total of about 25 people watching. Got to see what I can do to kind of push that up. But, you know, I've just been recording and publishing and not doing anything else. So I got to take it to the next level. But... On that podcast, I'm going to be talking about what's happening in the NFL. The Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, is a longer form uh, podcast, which I do, which I try to keep. I'm going to try to keep between 100 and, you know, 45 minutes, somewhere around there. I'm going to try to keep, not 145, that's two and a half hours. I'm going to try to keep around about, you know, anywhere between 90 and 110, 100 minutes, somewhere around there. And then for my YouTube channel, I'm going to try to keep anywhere between a half an hour to an hour. So... Um, in the next couple of days on my YouTube channel, and it's just Wendell Wallace, spelled W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Just go to YouTube, you know, type in that uh, name, and uh, I'll be going ahead and I'll be talking about, you know, my reactions from week three, the Philadelphia Eagles tying with the Cincinnati Bengals, who's the best team in the NFC, is it the Seattle Seahawks, is it the Green Bay Packers, is it the Los Angeles Rams, going to be talking about the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, an impressive victory over the Rams on Sunday, are the Bills for real, the Patriots continue to roll, it looks like the AFC East is going to be a pretty nice showdown between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills are going to be talking about that beatdown that was administered in Baltimore, Maryland by the Kansas City defending football team over the Baltimore Ravens, 34-20. to 20. Patrick Mahomes, man, you know, he's settling into that uh, space where it's almost like, you know, the prohibitive best player in the league and winning the MVP is no big deal. We now have to go to another direction. We have to go down another avenue to give an MVP because... If you wanted to, it looked like Patrick Mahomes could win the MVP for the next eight or nine years, um, the way that he's playing right now. Just reminded us, with Josh Allen playing well so far this season, with Russell Wilson playing so well this season, with Dak Prescott coming out and having some uh, two good games, uh, you know, the narrative might swing to, hey, maybe those guys are the best player, this, that, and the other. Patrick Mahomes on Monday night said, no, 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 no. It ain't Russell Wilson. It ain't Josh Allen. It ain't Aaron Rodgers. It ain't that Prescott, boys. It's Patrick Mahomes. You better recognize. So all of those things I'll be talking about on my YouTube channel, which you can see me. I mean, right in the flesh, baby. Right there. You can actually see me do this show up in my glorious good looks. That's right, Hollywood. 
You're looking for the next sex symbol at the age of 51? I'm right here. I'm, sing I'm single. No kids. I'm a free agent, baby. And I'll work for cheap. Shoot, sign me to a blockbuster. I'll, I'll, make, I'll, I'll sign for $8 million after taxes and a couple of perks. You don't need to pay me Denzel money. You don't need to pay me Tom Hanks money. You don't need to pay me DiCaprio money. You don't need to do all that with me. Shoot, give me five mil after taxes and I'm straight. And some, uh, you know, some coin off the, um, off the, uh, you know, once it hits block, well, Blockbuster's not around anywhere anymore. But, you know, hey, man, give me the residuals. Give me the residuals and give me five mil after taxes. I mean, you can have me and you can have the women. You can have the young lady swoon over Wendell. Woo, where did you find that man? Well, I saw him on Wendell's World of Sports. He did a YouTube channel and I was listening to his podcast and he said, why am I, why am I uh, imitating a Southern female? I was just talking about, ooh, Wendell was Wendell's World of Sports, and his voice sounded so smooth and so sexy and so, like, Barry White and, like, Jay Femingish in terms of what's happening, ladies. So I went in there to the YouTube channel, and I turned it on, and, woo, that was a good-looking man. Mm, mm, mm. I said, there ain't no way he's 51 years old. Damn, that boy don't look a day over 47. Woo, that's a good-looking man. And he's going to be on the screen? God damn. So, yeah, so with that uh, bullshit, Basically, what I'm saying is um, I'll be having more sports content on my YouTube channel. And I'll go back to uh, talking about the next week in the NFL, week four, uh, on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. So, yeah, that all that rambling and all that bullshit is basically to tell you that this podcast is going to be about the NBA. My YouTube channel is going to be about the NFL. Then I'll come back a couple of days later, talk about some college football, talk about some pro football. All right. So let's go, man. Let's get this thing done. The NBA finals are set. The Los Angeles Lakers versus the Miami Heat. The Heat beat the Boston Celtics four games to two to win the Eastern Conference Finals. They won game six, 125-113. Compromise watching the New Orleans Saints play the um, Green Bay Packers to watch this game. By him out of Bayou, scored a career-high 32 points, 14 rebounds, five assists in 39 minutes. Jimmy Butler, the Butler did it, scored 22 points. Tyler, white man's hero, scored 19 points. Duncan Robinson, the great shooter, and Andre Iguodala each had 15. And Gordon Dragic added 13 for the uh, Miami Heat. Um, you know, if you take a look at this series, man, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Boston. I think it would have been either way when you're speaking about the NBA Finals. I guess what the TV execs and the advertisers and everything were hoping for was, look, just give me LeBron James in the final, and we can muster up some type of really juicy storylines, whether we're talking about bringing out one of the historic rivalries in the NBA with the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. Maybe if they made the finals, we could trudge out Magic Johnson and Larry Bird for one of these halftime shows or for one of these pregame shows. We could talk about that. Maybe bring out Kevin uh, Garnett and speak about the 08 final and all of those good things so there was a lot of meat on the bone to pick at if the Boston Celtics would have made the uh, finals but again with the Miami Heat you've got the whole Pat Riley versus LeBron James you got LeBron James coming back to try to vanquish a team that he uh, played for and won a couple of championships with if you wanted to say that the Miami Heat were sort of kind of pseudo dynasty winning two championships in a row going to the nba finals four times and all realistically should have won three instead of four we can talk about the relationship between the 
uh, general manager or the president of basketball operations, Pat Riley and LeBron James. I mean, all of those good things. We can talk about, you know, Tyler Hero. We can talk about Jimmy Butler. We can talk about the Heat culture. We can talk about redemption for Anthony Davis. We can talk about, you know, uh, Mick, uh, not Mickey Harrison. He's the owner of the team. We can speak about Eric Spolstra. You know, if he goes ahead and wins this championship, I mean, sorry, Doc. I mean, we'll get into Doc Rivers being fired at the uh, near the end of the program, but shit, with Doc Rivers now coming up short again in the playoffs, if you're looking for someone to unseat America's black head coach and talk about putting someone else in that elite table along with the Rick Carlisles and along with the great Popoviches and along with those type of coaches, um, for a guy who really hasn't gotten the respect that he deserved, I mean, we're speaking about Eric Spolster now in the giving the opportunity to win his third championship Everybody's lauding and everybody's praising and everybody's fawning and everybody is just swooning over the wonder boy, Brad Stevens, for the first couple of years. And Brad Stevens is a great coach. Brad Stevens is a very good coach for the Boston Celtics. But man, there was a period of time where, you know, there was actual LaPole. I remember Chris Mannix uh, bringing this out in terms of, uh, you know, how many players would you choose if you were starting a franchise? How many players would you choose before you would choose Brad Stevens as your head coach. And now Chris Mannix can laugh about that. He does a fantastic job on his uh, basketball podcast. But, you know, for the most part, Brad Stevens was at that level. Well, Eric Spolstra, I mean, this guy just quietly goes under the radar, does his job. Very great Popovich in his, you know, I'm not looking for the spotlight. I'm not looking to do commercials. I'm not looking to uh, give speeches. I'm not looking to speak for anybody. I'm not looking to be the face of coaches in the NBA. I'm not looking to do any of that stuff, man. I'm, I'm here to be a basketball coach. I love the Heat. I love the Heat culture. I love the Heat family. I love everything that it represents. Um, I love my job and that's good enough for me. I just love being an NBA basketball coach. I'm not interested in getting a brand. I'm not interested in doing commercials. I'm not interested in going somewhere else to optimize my earning potential. None of that nonsense. I love Miami. I got a beautiful female. I got myself a young child. I'm good. I'm really good. So you're talking about a situation where if Eric Spolster wins his third, put him up there without question, without a doubt. When you start naming the best coaches in the NBA, you don't have to go very far, maybe two or three before you mention the name Eric Spolstra. Those are the things that uh, this finals, these finals are going to represent in terms of storyline. Now, look, the last person who's going to be wanting to take a part in any of that stuff is going to be Eric Spolstra. Anything that puts the attention on him, anything that says Eric Spolstra, me, I, that's not what he's all about. Eric Spolstra is all about team, we, heat, win, that type of thing. So... Those are some good things. But, you know, getting back to um, Game 6, you know, the recap of Game 6 was like all the heat wins of the series. I mean, Miami was down by 6 early in the 4th before regaining control. A 6-0 burst. Hero had 5 of those points, needing only 31 seconds to do so. Tied it at 36. Then Boston took the lead twice more after being tied at 96. And then Anna Bayou said, man, fuck this. Answered both times. First with a dunk over Daniel Tice. Poor, poor Daniel Tice. And then a go-ahead three-point play with 6-16 left. They never trailed after that. Hero had a pair of baskets on a 9-0 burst to put the heat up by 10. Anna Bayou found Butler for a layup, which increased the lead to 14 at 116-102 with 240 left. And basically, that took the any remaining remnants of hope for the Boston Celtics and winning this game and going to a game seven evaporated. They were done. If they could have tapped out, they would have tapped out. So, you know, it's a same situation. You, you know, Boston, I thought, 
I thought Boston had a really good chance to win going into the series because I thought that the duo of Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker paired up also with Jalen Brown over a seven-game series would be able to do more than the trio of Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, and Bam Adebayo. I did not take into account how dominant Adebayo was going to be and take advantage of the middle. I did not take into account how well Eric Spolstra was going to coach going to that 2-3 zone and how discombobulated for a couple of games the Boston Celtics were in trying to, um, you know, to do something with that zone. And I didn't take into account how uneven and how unimpactful over the entire series that Kimba Walker was going to be and how he was going to get outplayed by a 20-year-old rookie from Kentucky who two years ago was playing high school ball in Wisconsin. So, you know, give it up to the Heat, man. I give it up to the Heat. Each game, there was a new uh, guy that was going to step up and play. And that was Heat culture. So I ask you, and I'm asking you on this podcast, the podcast name is Wendell's World of Sports. The person who's doing this is the very handsome Wendell's, Wendell Wallace, not Wendell's. There's only one Wendell. God rest my dad's soul. Wendell's, Wendell Wallace, that's my name. So how confident are you about the Heat winning a championship? Because I'm thinking to myself, everybody, I remember for years, man, everybody, one of the things when they were talking about with the NBA was always about, you know, I have a buddy of mine, Jerome, out there from Brooklyn, or was it, is it lower yet, Manhattan? I don't know. But he's always talking about, we always have this debate between baseball and basketball, and I'm always talking about, you know, with no salary cap, it makes it so that the New York Yankees can all be, always be relevant, that the big market teams can always be relevant because they can outspend, for the most part, the teams like the Kansas City Royals and the Pittsburgh Pirates and, and those type of small market teams if they want to conduct themselves like small market. And Jerome was always talking about, well, you know, you take a look at the parity in terms of winning World Series it compares nothing in terms of the NBA where you have these dynasties. The NBA was built on dynasties, whether it was the Minneapolis Lakers winning five championships in six years, whether it was the Boston Celtics winning 11 championships in 13 years, whether it was the Los Angeles Lakers repeating, whether it was the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers dominating the 1980s, winning eight out of 10 championships during that time, whether it was the Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls who won six championships in eight years, whether it was the San Antonio Spurs who went to the NBA Finals, it seemed like every other year with Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan and Bruce Bowen and Avery Johnson and Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili and David Robinson, whether we're talking about the Kobe, Shaquille O'Neal at Los Angeles Lakers, then moving into the new age, we're speaking about the Heatles, the Miami Heat with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron James, and then we're talking about the Golden State Warriors with Steph Clay. Draymond, and then for a few years with uh, KD, Kevin Durant. So the NBA has always been built on championships, and it's always been built on a structure for the most part of where you have to have yourself a dominant player. You have to have yourself a generational talent. You have to have yourself a franchise-changing type of player on your team. You know, the team that's filled with really good players, not just good players, but really good players, will never make it over the top if they're playing someone with a generational-type superstar and franchise-type player in an NBA All-Star. For instance, if you take a look at the 1980s Boston Celtics, and yes, because of the salary cap and other machinations, free agency and such, that, you know, this 
definition of what a super team is or a championship team is or how you build a championship team kind of changes from time to time. But for the most part, when you take a look at lore in the annals of NBA history, you're taking a look at franchises who have won championships, multiple championships, having themselves that generational talent followed by that guy who was a top five, top 10 player, followed by that guy who was a perennial all-star. If you take a look at the Larry Bird Boston Celtics, who won three championships in the 1980s. That generational all-time great Larry Bird leading the way with that uh, franchise superstar Kevin McHale and also that perennial all-star Robert Parrish. You could even throw in another Hall of Favor, famer Dennis Johnson. They were going up against the Los Angeles Lakers with that generational, I mean, shit, they had two generational superstars. The fact that Magic Johnson in his prime was without question a generational superstar, one of the greatest players of all time, the greatest point guard of all time as of right now, going up with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, even in his mid to late 30s, still would be considered, if not a generational talent, damn near close to it. He was definitely a perennial um, franchise superstar during that time. He was winning championships with the Los Angeles Lakers. Then you go to a guy in James Worthy, who you can say was your perennial all-star, a guy who was voted as the top 50 greatest players by the NBA about a decade, decade or a couple of decades or so. So yeah, the construction of a basketball franchise, a basketball dynasty has always been that way. And if you take a look at champions, even recently, if you take a look at how loaded and how stacked the Golden State Warriors were going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA championship when they had that generational all-time most unique basketball player who's ever played LeBron James going up against them. When you take a look at the 2008 Boston Celtics, that championship where they had Ray Allen and and uh, Kevin uh, Garnett and Paul Pierce. If you go ahead and you take a look at the Shaquille O'Neal-led uh, Los Angeles Lakers, you had two of the five top players in the NBA during that time in Kobe and Shaq. When you take a look at the Tim Duncan-led San Antonio Spurs, the greatest, most versatile frontcourt player of all time, Tim Duncan, you know, mixed in with a generational star like Manu Ginobili, probably the best European basketball player who's ever played the game, not counting Akeem Olajuwon because he played a couple of years for Houston uh, in college ball, but going straight from the European to the NBA, if not Dirk Nowitzki, is probably going to be uh, Manu Ginobili, you have someone like a Tony Parker. So you have these teams that are built on that generational superstar mixed in with that franchise player or really good player, top five, top 10 player. And then you have the perennial all-star. This is going to be the first time if the Miami Heat win this championship, this is going to be the most non-NBA championship looking squad since the 2004 Detroit Pistons. You can talk about because it's the pandemic. Maybe you can talk about just the oddity of what went down this NBA season. Maybe you could throw in the excuse of, well, they were playing in a bubble. Maybe that's the reason why you want to put an asterisk. And people who were even speaking about that conversation of whether these, this season should have an asterisk or not pointed to the oddity of what these players and what these teams, these franchises were going through. And if a team like the... Uh, Houston Rockets or a team like the Indiana Pacers or a team like the Utah Jazz or a team like the Miami Heat were playing in the NBA Finals that would, you know, strengthen the argument that this was a season that the NBA champion should be labeled with an asterisk. I don't believe that at all. The Miami Heat proved that they were one of the better teams. Even before the pandemic hit and the season was uh, postponed, the Miami Heat were still top four, top five in the Eastern Conference. 
So you're speaking a look, again, you're speaking at a franchise. If they win the NBA championship, no all-time great player like LeBron or Kobe or Tim Duncan or Shaq or Dirk, no super team model of building a team like the 2008 Celtics, the 2012 to 14 Miami Heat, no franchise superstar all-star tandem like LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, KD, Steph, Klay Thompson, Draymond, none of that stuff. What the Heat are right now, they are what I would consider the greatest example of a quote-unquote team that follows in the same structure, that follows in the same placement, that's going to be sitting at the same table of NBA champions as, say, the, again, 2004 Detroit Pistons, the 1977 Portland Trailblazers, the uh, 2012 Dallas Mavericks. That's the type of team, if they win a championship, that's where they're going to be situated when we talk about what type of model the Miami Heat were who won the championship. If, again, if they can get that way. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Don't forget about my YouTube channel, W-E-N-D-E-L-L. No, you motherfucker, not W-E-N-D-A-L-L. Shit, it's W-E-N-D-E-L-L. Write that shit down, will you? Wendell Wallace. Go to YouTube and you can see this beautiful face talking about these beautiful things in sports. But, um... Getting back to Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. So what are the Miami Heat now? I'm thinking, you know, I guess you could say they're like the San Antonio Spurs of South Beach. They're the southern east version of what the San Antonio Spurs were. You know, changing what the model NBA franchise should look like and what other franchises and organizations want to emulate They always, you know, go from, you know, from my earliest recollections, they start with, you know, the the, the quote-unquote, the way they do it, their culture. It started off with Utah back in the 80s. You know, how Jerry Sloan put that team together. No nonsense. They had players who really fit his personality. If you're taking a look at players like uh, John Stockton, if you're taking a look at players like Carl Malone, of course, two of the players who are in the Hall of Fames and all-time great generational greats during their time. But if you speak about also some of the other parts, if you speak a look, if you take a look at a Greg Ostertag, if you take a look at a Antoine Carr, if you take a look before that at a Jeff Malone, if you take a look at some other type, type of players, a Jeff Hornacek type, uh, Byron Russell type, those guys were always like Utah Jazz type of players who always fit what the Utah Jazz mentality were, what their organization was all about. They fit that to a pride and they followed the lead of not just Jerry Sloan, but also Carl Malone and John Stockton, their two best disciples of what uh, Jerry Sloan was talking about. So the San Antonio Spurs, R.C. Buford, great Popovich. I know that he was speaking about this years ago when Jerry Sloan died. You know, the... San Antonio Spurs always said they weren't unabashed about it. They were like, yeah, we actually studied how Utah did their thing. Because, you know, you're speaking about Utah. You're not speaking about the Lakers. You're not speaking about the Knicks. You're not speaking about a big market team. You're not speaking about a free agent destination. How are you going to acquire talent? How are you going to build your franchise to where you can be a viable championship contender for years to come in a city like Salt Lake Lake City, Utah, when you're speaking about how black the NBA is in terms of its players, in terms of the African-Americans who play? Ain't no black folks going to be going out to Salt Lake City. 
when you can go to a New York, when you can go to an L.A., when you can go to a Chicago, when you can go to a Miami, when you can go to a Dallas. So if you were Utah back in those days, you know, how were you going to go ahead and you, how were you going to structure a team that was going to be that good? The Spurs with R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich uh, saw that, emulated it. Now they got lucky because they got themselves Tim Duncan, who was married at the hip in terms of what the San Antonio Spurs culture was all about. And really, you could say that Greg Popovich formulated it, but Tim Duncan then took it to the locker room. So it was just a matter of we could go ahead and get these guys and they can fall in line because the best player on that team, Tim Duncan, was so wedded and dedicated to what the San Antonio Spurs were talking about. So someone like a Manu Ginobili never even thought about leaving. Someone like a Tony Parker who... Uh, for a long time, never even thought about living. A guy who spent his off-seasons in France, but when he retired, is now living in San Antonio. A guy like Bruce Bowen and others who were willing to accept less money to stay with the San Antonio Spurs. Someone like an Avery Johnson. So uh, Sean Elliott, who is now uh, the broadcaster for the Spurs. The family. It's all about family. That was all taken from uh, Jerry Sloan in the Utah Jazz. Now... It seems like that torch has been passed on to Miami and Pat Riley. Now, they're the, what do you, what we would say, the culture team. And if you take a look at the similarities between the Spurs, between the Heat, what what is Heat culture? Just like Spurs culture. Hard work, professionalism, loyalty, commitment to the team and each other. A family-type atmosphere. Did you notice when the Heat won their championship? Did you uh, hear Eric Spolstra in uh, giving shout-outs? And first he said, I want to thank, you know, I want to congratulate the Boston Celtics very hard uh, series. They're a great team, this, that, and the other. But in his acceptance speech of winning the Eastern Conference Championship, he gave shout-outs to people like Chris Bosh, D. Wade, Alonzo Mourning. I'm surprised he didn't give a shout-out to Bob McAdoo either. That was always uh, Pat Riley's right-hand man. For the longest. That's the same thing with the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, when the Spurs won their championship, I remember within on the court during the time that they were celebrating, there was David Robinson. David Robinson hadn't played for the Spurs in four or five years. David Robinson is uh is up in uh you know, he has a residence. He, he's living now, I think, primarily in Hawaii. You know, but David Robinson was treated like family. Same thing with Sean Elliott, same thing with Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen, I think his numbers is retired in the San Antonio Spurs rafter. I mean, you're speaking about Avery Johnson. Him and Greg Popovich have a very close connection. There was speak. There was talk about, you know, when Pop finally retires at the age of 216, that uh, Avery Johnson, at the age of 189, would go ahead and assume the role of head coach for the San Antonio Spurs. But, you know, again, it's a, it's a dedication. It's a reverence. It's a thank you for the players who laid down the foundation for these guys to have the success that they're doing now. So we're speaking about heat culture, man. It's always about heat culture, heat culture. You're going to be hearing a lot about that in the NBA Finals. But this is a watershed moment, I think, for the NBA. And again, it could be just a matter of maybe there is some validity, some real true validity in terms of, look, man, if this was the regular season and there wasn't that interruption and didn't give the chance for players to heal up or get better or to just regroup, recharge, that maybe we would be having an NBA Finals with the Los Angeles Clippers playing against the Milwaukee Bucks, the Clippers. 
playoff P. But uh, but basically, you know what? You know, maybe you could throw a little gasoline on that fire to say that asterisk needs to be placed because the Miami Heat are in the NBA Finals. But for small market teams and for teams who are not free agent destinations, I mean, the Miami Heat, even though they're in South Beach, you take a look at that team. There is no LeBron James on that team. There is no Luka Dantich on that team. Luka Dantich of four or five years from now. There is no, you know, magnetic franchise great player on that team. An all-NBA all-star uh, guy. A MVP type of potential guy. There, there isn't anybody like that. This is a team. This is a solid team built on a certain winning culture that was crafted by a brilliant, brilliant basketball mind and executive. So if you're Indiana and you're taking a look at the Miami Heat, you, you got to say to yourself, well, shit, we don't need to be marketed in, we, know, we don't need to have a team in New York City. We don't need to be in a big time market to win a championship. You take a look at the Utah Jazz. They can be fired up in terms of what the Miami Heat are doing. You can take a look at the Sacramento Kings, Vedek Ramadive can go ahead and say, you know what, look at what the Miami Heat are doing. Sacramento Kings, we don't have the same advantages that the Golden State Warriors have, but if we can build ourselves a culture and we can go ahead and build ourselves an identity that could be attractive for someone who was looking to uh, win a championship and draft the right type of players that could be, uh, that have the same type of DNA in terms of what we represent and where we want to go, why can't we do what the Miami Heat are doing? If you're the Orlando Magic, why can't you do what the Miami Heat are doing. If you're the Washington Wizards, why can't you do? Because they're the fucking Wizards. God damn it, they'll never win, Grunfeld, you son of a bitch. No, but uh, but so there's a um, certain, there's a certain hope for the NBA. And again, the NBA's been doing just fine with the Lakers ruling the roost with Magic and Kareem and Worthy and Byron Scott and Kurt Rambis and my man Bob McAdoo and Michael Thompson and Michael Cooper and the NBA took it to new heights. When you had the Chicago Bulls of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and Horace Grant and Craig Hodges and John Paxson and then moving on to Dennis Rodman and Bill Wennington and Luke Longley and Steve Kerr and and all those guys, Randy Brown, Keith Booth, that's going next level. But uh, yeah, so the NBA will we'll do just fine. But I think for the fan basis, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks, Great example. They didn't make it to the NBA playoffs, but um, you saw what they did. The fact that they're not in Chicago, the fact of how well they've done uh, with Giannis Adenokupo, a guy who was drafted in the mid-lottery, and building around him. You saw what the uh, Toronto Raptors did after losing Kawhi Leonard, the fact that they were still very competitive. In fact, I thought... Uh, the Toronto Raptors this year were a better team than, well, it proved to be that the uh, Toronto Raptors were a better team than the Los Angeles Clippers. So it doesn't always have to be about the Lakers versus another big market team in the NBA Finals. Um, and if the Miami Heat win this, and we're speaking about the same thing with the uh, 1977 NBA playoffs where the team, Portland Trailblazers, led by Bill Walton and, and uh Maurice Lucas and coached by Jack Ramsey and I think they had uh, what uh, Lionel Hollins and Steve Snapper Jones and those guys and they went ahead and beat the heavily favored one-on-one poorly coached dysfunctional Philadelphia 76ers who I guess you could say emulated this season's Los Angeles Clippers where you had Doc 
Dr. J coming over in his first year from the ABA, and you had George McGinnis in this first year in the ABA, and you had Lloyd Free before he legally changed his name from Lloyd Free to World Be Free, and you had Doug Collins, and you had Daryl Dawkins. That group individually were fantastic. And if it was a one-on-one contest, they would have destroyed the Portland Trailblazers. But Portland was a team. So I'm thinking for maybe even more reference in what, where we want to go if we're going to be speaking about the series, depending upon how far it goes. Man, let's just bring that out. You can compare this NBA Finals, the 2020 NBA Finals, to the 1977 NBA Finals. I think the I think this Laker team is much better coach. And, of course, ain't nobody on the 76ers was as good as LeBron or Anthony Davis. Um but you know what? Hey, Bayman Abayu ain't 1977 Bill Walton just yet. So it'll be good. It'll be good. I am really looking forward to this series. The Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. May the best team go ahead and win that championship. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's going down in the NBA Finals, which is going to be starting later on today. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday, I'm recording this on a late Tuesday night, going to publish it on a Wednesday. So there you go. Remember, I'll be talking everything about what went down in the NFL and a little bit of college football on my YouTube channel, Wendell Wallace. It's the uh, video version of me doing what I'm doing right now. W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Check it out. Subscribe. Do all those things. I guess I got to start pumping that baby up, huh? So I'll go ahead and do that. But uh, as of right now, speaking about this podcast is going to be about previewing, talking about the teams that are going to be playing in the NBA Finals. Game one is later on tonight. Game two is on Friday. I believe game three is on Sunday. What's the Sunday night game? Is it Philadelphia? Philadelphia is playing either Sunday night or Monday nights, which was Philadelphia and Minnesota. Is that, is that Sunday night or Monday night? Whatever, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. If it's Philadelphia and the Vikings on Sunday night, then daddy's going to be watching a whole lot of NBA basketball. Got the... Eagles are terrible so far to start the season. I digress. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Heat culture. Heat culture. Heat culture. Again, what is the best definition of heat culture? Hard work, mental and physical toughness, professionalism, loyalty, commitment to team and each other. If you saw it on display in the Boston Celtics series, you would know a different player played a major or prominent role in the team's victory. If you're thinking about game one, 
They were down 13 in the opening minutes of the game and down 14 in the final quarter where they outscored Boston 35-23 in the fourth. Jimmy Butler took over in the fourth. I said, oh, wait, that's something. But Gordon Drogic with the guy who led all scores and had a strong game with 29.7 rebounds, four assists. Jay Crowder hitting multiple threes, scored 22 points. Block shot heard around the world at the end of the game in overtime when Bam blocked Jason Tatum's dunk attempt in the closing seconds to save the game. Everybody played a role. Tyler Hero almost had a triple-double, didn't go off and score 37, wasn't huge as far as scoring in the fourth quarter. The, the way the game would dictate it, that was Jimmy Butler's job. Game two, again, Miami was losing by 12 at the half. They were down by 17 at one point in the game. When they went ahead and said, fuck this, outscored Boston 37-17 in the third quarter. They were down 15, 67-52 with 9.43 left to go in the third, right? Those guys won on a 32-10 run the rest of the quarter to turn that deficit around to lead 84-77. I had never seen Brad Stevens so upset and so angry and just seething in the in-between quarter interview after that third quarter. He was pissed. Bam Adebayo had 50 points that quarter, shooting 7 for 8 from the field. Duncan Robinson scored 18. Jimmy Butler had 14. Jay Crowder had 11. Uh, Jay Crowder, excuse me, had 12. Tyler Hero had 11. And then in Game 4, it was the emergence of Tyler Hero, who had the game of his life, 37 points in 36 minutes. He was 14 of 21, 21 from the field, 5 of 10 from three-point line. He Miami does not win that game. They don't win that game without him. The man shot 5 of 10 from the three-point line. The rest of the team shot 5 for 27. He shot 14 of 21 from the field. The rest of the team shot 25 of 70. They don't win that game if it wasn't for Gordon Drogic. Just like, excuse me, for uh, uh, Tyler Hero. Just like they don't win game one if it wasn't for the performance of Jimmy Butler and Gordon Drogic and Bam Adebayo. Just like they don't win game six if it wasn't for the domination of Bam Adebayo and having his game, having the best game of his life in the playoffs. Jay Crowder in game four went one for nine, one for seven for deep. Butler, Dragic, shot a combined 16 of 41 from the field in game four, the game that Hero went off. They were 311, Butler and Dragic, from the three-point line. Duncan Robinson missed all five of his shots, including four of the threes. No way they were going to win that game if they were built like a regular team in terms of winning championships to where... The best player on the team has to perform at a all-star level every night if you're playing the team of a caliber like the Boston Celtics. You can't have, if you're a superstar normally, when you play a team like Boston, if you're a team that's uh, built normally, old-fashioned, to win a championship, you can't have that star player, you know, being great one game, mediocre the other game, good the other game, solid the other game, bad the other game, somewhat the other game. No, you need LeBron to be great every night. You need James Harden to be great every night. You need Luka to be great every night. You need James Lillard to be great every night. With the Miami Heat, because of their culture, Jimmy Butler doesn't have to be the best player on the court all the time. Gordon Dragic doesn't have to score 30, grab seven rebounds, and dish out eight assists every day. Tyler Hero doesn't have to go for 30-something points. Bam Adebayo doesn't have to play Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and Shaquille O'Neal all rolled into one with a 
shot like Carl Malone. He doesn't need to do all that stuff. Duncan Robinson doesn't need to be a sharpshooter every single time for those guys to win a game. It's always somebody else stepping up. And if you see how the team, the Miami Heat, was put together, they did it without putting together a super team through free agency. They did that already. When they convinced LeBron and Bosh and Wade to take less money to play for Miami. Pat Riley, been there, done that. Just to show how great he was, we don't need to do that again for us to be great. And the thing was, is that he didn't have to even bottom out. The Miami Heat didn't have to, you know, go 21 and 61 or 17 and 65 or, you know, for a few years, you know, hit rock bottom for them to acquire a high draft pick or a couple of high draft picks to try to get good. Kawhi Leonard wasn't trying to convince uh, Paul George to come to South Beach with him. It wasn't those type of things. You know, they didn't have to bottom out to get two or three uh, consecutive, you know, top five draft picks. How he put that team together, speaking about Pat Riley, he signed Butler in free agency. He drafted Hero and Benham out of Bayou in the mid-lottery, not top five, not top three, not top ten. Signed an undrafted diamond in the rough type in Duncan Robinson, the guy who, when he started his basketball career, collegiate basketball career, was playing Division Three, wasn't even thought about in terms of being an NBA prospect. And now he is, now here he is, one of the best shooters in the league before the season's Trade deadline, this season's trade deadline. Pat Riley went out and got himself Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder in exchange for basically three players who weren't really in the rotation to begin with. So addition by subtraction. So in between appearances, yes, you know what? The Miami Heat, they did overpay for some players. They did overpay for, uh, you know, guys like James Johnson and, and um, oh, not Joe Harris. Who's the, who's the white boy from Virginia? Oh, the name I forgot. I'll, I'll pick it up a little bit later. But, you know, they didn't have to go ahead. They, they, they missed the playoffs, but were only one win from advancing to the conference finals the, finally, the following year. They only had one losing season since LeBron left, and now there's resurgence. They didn't have to go on the tank. So, yeah, he made the mistake by, you know, overpaying for Dion Waiters. Tyler Johnson, that's that motherfucker's name. Tyler Johnson, Hassan Whiteside, James Johnson. Yeah, Riley made some mistakes. The man ain't Jesus, so he made some mistakes. But guess what? None of those players are on the current roster right now. Whiteside is in Portland. Deion, Sa- Deion Waiters, Deion Sanders. Deion Waiters is with the Los Angeles Lakers. That that man's going to get a championship ring and that winner's check, whether the um, Lakers win or not. I don't even think he's going to dress for most of those games. How are Deion Waiters living like that? James Johnson, I don't know what I don't know what team he's on right now. I don't even know if he's in the league. But none of those guys are uh on the current Miami Heat roster. So, you know, it's it's awesome, man. I I I love again the way that the Miami Heat were put together. And again, it shows you a template of how you don't have to have a number one draft pick. And if you take a look at some of the best players in the league and where they were from and how they got on these teams, if you take a look at the Donovan Mitchell, he wasn't a number three draft pick. If you take a look at someone like a Giannis Adenokupo, he wasn't a number two draft pick. If you take a look at a Tyler Hero, he wasn't a number five draft pick. If you take a look at a Bam Adebayo, he wasn't a number four draft pick. These guys were all mid-lottery type draft picks. So you don't need to go ahead. I mean, it'd be nice. Of course it'd be nice. 
to go ahead and have the number one pick in a year where there's a LeBron James, a year when there's going to have an Anthony Davis available, a year when there's going to be a Zion, a year when there's going to be a Luka. Yeah, sure. It's awesome. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the Miami Heat would give up that position if they could get it, but there's one way to skin a cat. There's one way to win basketball games. And more importantly, if you're speaking about heat culture, if you're speaking about how to build a team, if you're speaking to the small market teams, as I mentioned before, there's more than one way to win a championship. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today, including the NBA Finals. Remember, my analysis, my thoughts and opinions about what went down in week three of the NFL weekend, you can be hearing in a couple of days on my YouTube channel, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Go ahead and check it out. I don't love you anymore. Just a shame. Dirty shame. I've got the, uh, that's what, Teddy Pendergrass. Man, I was singing that shit all fucking day today. Just driving around in my car talking about, I don't love you anymore. So, check it out. Great song. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Give me a break, man. It's damn close to 1130 at night. I'm running on fumes, but I'm going to keep going. Got to have something to keep myself going. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, you know, we were speaking about the Miami Heat. I'll get to LeBron in a few moments. Hang in there. Hang in there with me. Because I was thinking the other day, man, if Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra could produce a child, if they could produce twins, it would be Tyler Hero and Bam on the Bayou. Now, I want to address this because I heard this and I was like, whoa, slow down. Slow down now. On uh, the Low Post episode, Zach Lowe does a fabulous, fabulous um, basketball pod- podcast. It's called The Low Post. Highly recommended. It's great. Um, about a week and a half ago, uh, he had on Dan Lebertard, and he told Lowe that there's some within the Heat organization who think that Tyler Hero could be better than Devin Booker, the guard for the Phoenix Suns. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. Thinking that Tyler Hero can be better than Devin Booker? Ah, man, I don't, I mean, I don't know, man. But I'm thinking the pathway that that could happen. And the way that I'm coming up with this synopsis, and the way that I'm coming up this, with this scenario where, you know, if, if Tyler Hero is going to be better than Devin Booker, we're speaking about Tyler Hero being a, what, in the next four or five years being a top 10 top 12, all NBA second or third team type performer, if he's going to be better than Devin Booker, who I think now that he's gotten a little taste of the um, what it's like to be in a, a playoff race and he has a coach in Monty Williams, could, could um, you know, fulfill that potential. And if he does, this guy could be uh, a top 10, top 12 player. So we're speaking about Tyler Hero being better than that. The only way that I could think that could happen would be the same way that Kawhi Leonard took his path, 
to be a superstar. And if you take a look at the similarities between Hero and his situation and Kawhi Leonard and his situation when he first came into the league, very similar. Leonard was a mid-lottery pick by Indiana. He was traded to San Antonio for George Hill. The Spurs at the time, and still are, but at the time were one of the best at the best, the best basketball organization with their professionalism, their work ethic, their attention to detail, their development of players. Leonard went to the Spurs, learned the Spurs culture, learned the Spurs way before becoming a valuable player in the chase for a championship. I mean, this was a situation where Leonard didn't get drafted by a bullshit, ridiculous team. He didn't get, you know, he didn't get drafted by the James Dolan-led New York Knicks. He didn't get drafted by the Ernie Grunfeld-led Washington Wizards. He didn't get drafted by the Vivette Remedive, San Antonio, uh, uh, Sacramento Kings. I mean, he wasn't asked to be the savior. He wasn't asked to be that guy to go ahead and, you know, lead the way. He was allowed to go ahead and play behind Tony Parker, play behind Manu Ginobili, play behind Tim Duncan, learn that culture, learn that teaching, learn the uh, lessons that Greg Popovich gave, gave. Learn the best way of how to become a professional basketball player. Learn how to work. Learn how to work efficiently. Learn the, uh, you know, learn what it's like to be a pro. You know, so he got mixed in with that culture. And by the time he became the heir apparent when Duncan retired, when Ginobili and Parker became older, it was then Lenders time to become a superstar, an MVP, a franchise-type player because of the organization and the players, how, how he learned to play from that game. See, that's the same thing I'm thinking with Tyler Hero when people are talking about he's going to be, you know, one of these great players. I think if that happens again, he's going to take the similar path that uh, Kawhi Leonard made and the similarities are right there. He was, Tyler was drafted uh, with without the expectations to be the savior, to be the franchise guy, to lift them from the doldrums, to lift them from ineptitude. I mean, he was just a guy with the expectations just help the team. Just go ahead, play your role. We don't need you to be the guy. We don't need you to do all these things. And just like Kawhi Leonard, who wasn't drafted by the Spurs to be that, Hero was drafted by a team, just like the Spurs, who was who are a model organization that fit his mentality, fit his work ethic, fit his dedication to the game, fit his competitive level, fit his confidence level. He learned the game from you know players like um, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, who's a tremendous leader. Udonis Haslam, who I think was been, who, how many games has he played over the last six, seven years? Like 20? But this guy efficient, you know, effectively is a, a, uh, is an assistant coach. But, you know, Tyler Duncan Robinson and, um, Kendrick Nunn, I mean, those guys had the luxury, had the pleasure, had the luckiness of going to an organization where he could learn from, you know, alpha dog dogs like Jimmy Butler, a guy with a tremendous ath- uh, work ethic and his love for the game of basketball and his dedication to basketball. He could learn from a great leader like Goran Dragic, a great veteran. He could learn how the heat culture goes from someone like Udonis Haslam, who is the heart and soul of that uh, organization. You can learn from someone like Jay Crowder, a, vizzled, a grizzled veteran when he came over. You could go upstairs and you could talk to someone like a Pat Riley. You could go ahead and talk to someone like a uh, uh, Alonzo Mourning. You could go ahead and talk to someone like a Dwayne Wade if you needed to. Or if the coaches said, hey, you know what? Dwayne, go ahead and give Tyler a call. You know, kind of, he might have had a rough 
game last week or we noticed maybe there's a little slippage and you know what we're trying to get out of him and you know he might need a little help in him in him understanding this is the way we do things you know Dwayne give him a call Alonzo give him a call Yadonis sit down and talk to him Jimmy go ahead and with your 4 a.m. workouts go ahead pick him up take him to the gym and uh, let him know what it's all about you know Gordon put your arm around the guys take him to the side and talk to him about being a pro or those type of things so if Tyler, who's only 20 years old, by the time he reaches 23, 24, 25, I mean, if he can really soak in those lessons and he continues to work, I mean, this is a guy who's never going to be an awesome athlete. He doesn't have a 40-inch vertical. He doesn't have a tremendous first step. He doesn't have, uh, you know, the athletic ability, like, like those type of things. He doesn't have the big hands like Kawhi has. But, you know, he has the skill. He has the aptitude. He has the basketball IQ. He has the cojones. He has the confidence, not only in himself, but also, most importantly, from his coaches and his players. Duncan Robinson doesn't take that shot. Tyler Hero doesn't play that type of basketball. Bam Abato isn't that aggressive on the offensive end if they're not getting the green light, the go-ahead from the coaching staff. So if Tyler's going to be making and uh, making a mistake being aggressive, that's okay. He's not going to get shy. He's not going to become gun shy. He's not going to become worried. His confident level is going to stay the same because I'm quite sure he's being grilled over and over and over and over again by Eric Spolstra. I don't give a fuck if you're going to be making a few turnovers if you're being aggressive. I don't give a fuck if you're going to be taking a bad shot as long as you're aggressive. Same thing with Duncan Robinson. I don't give a damn if you shoot seven three-pointers in a game and you miss the ball. You better take Take the next three-pointer if you're wide open or if you feel good taking that shot within the rhythm of the game. Bam, be aggressive. Yoke on the guy. Pull up for a 15-footer. You know, look for your shot. That's okay. You're more than just a guy now who's just going to defend and rebound. You can now do more in the offensive end. Those edicts are coming from the coaching staff. And when you got a coaching staff like that that's telling you that, and in your mind, you're strong enough mentally already, some of the things that you've over, had to overcome, if you're Duncan Robinson, his journey to reach where he is in the NBA, you don't think that guy is strong-willed? You don't think that guy has some self-belief? You don't think that guy has some self-confidence in himself? He already has that, and the players and the coaches and the organization are telling you this is the reason why you're here. This is the reason why you're on the court. Shoot the fucking ball. Regardless of whether it goes in or not, shoot the fucking ball. Tyler, be aggressive. Bam, be aggressive. You know, same thing with Kawhi. Kawhi made those strides. Kawhi made those growths to the player that he became. And it wasn't something that was overnight. Yeah, I knew that he was the MVP when the Spurs beat the um, Miami Heat to basically blow up that possible dynasty and send Tim Duncan off with his final championship ring. But that wasn't his team. That was Kawhi Leonard letting his abilities flow because of the veterans, because of the coaches. Tyler Hero eight scoring 36 points. Tyler Hero is not this good if guys like Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler are on the team. I mean, he could score that many points, but they sure ain't going to be in the NBA Finals. I mean, hell, he could do all those type of things, but they sure weren't going to be even in the playoffs. So it's just what we're seeing now is a natural progression. Tyler Hero, shit. Who's going to be guarding him on the Lakers, y'all? 
Come on, man, give me a name. Who do you think is going to be guarding Tyler Hero? Alex Caruso? KCP? Rajon Rondo? There is a strong possibility that the Miami Heat could win this bad boy series in six and raising up that Bill Russell MVP for the uh, for the uh, um, uh, championship series is Tyler Hero. You know, that's, that's not going to be a shock. That's not going to be a surprise. So, you know, I'm just thinking the path or what people are meaning in the Heat organization I'm maybe thinking the reason why they're saying he could be that type of player eventually is because of the same path, the same trip that uh, Kawhi Leonard took for the San Antonio Spurs when he was rising to superstardom and being one of the best players in the NBA. Not in 2014, but he sure is in uh, 2018 and 19 and 20. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host of one podcast. So glad that you could be with us. So Tyler Hero, better than Devin Booker, huh? Man, I, I, I just can't see it, man. I mean, you know, I know Tyler is the flavor of the month, and I think that he's going to be good, and I think that he's going to be a guy that if he plays 10, 12 years, that he can make four or five all-star games. But, man, I think Devin Booker is the guy that could be that number one guy. I think Devin Booker could be that guy, that number one guy that could lead a team, if not to a NBA Finals, at least lead them consistent, on a consistent basis to the semifinals and conference finals. Now, it all depends, man. You're speaking about, you know, playing for the Phoenix Suns. He was drafted by a dysfunctional, leader, a leaderless, inept NBA organization at that time. And I guess you can say Monty Williams can clean up a lot of stuff, but still, there's a lot of mess when you're speaking about Robert Sarver being the owner of that team. You're, you're speaking about Devin Booker, who was just mired in just bad habits, bad culture, bad everything. They were the antithesis of what the Miami Heat are as an organization, if you're speaking about the Phoenix Suns. His first four years in the league, speaking about Devin Booker, he played for four different head coaches and 54 different teammates. My man had to be coached by Jeff Hornacek, Earl Watson, Jay Trevino, Igor uh, Kosakoff, which, you know, that Kosakoff might have been the uh, best coach before Monty Williams that uh, that uh, Devin Booker played for. I mean, Hornacek bounced around, Earl Watson... I mean, how in the world, Earl Watson, you confound me because either you were married or engaged to Joy Taylor and you broke that off? Are you fucking out of your mind? Unless that woman is a complete psycho, what in the hell is the matter with you? That woman tells me to rob a bank, I'm going for Fort Knox. If that woman tells me to jump off a bridge, I'm going to the Golden Gate Bridge and saying, Geronimo! You breaking up with her? Jeez, Jay Trevino. Uh, I'm oh, sorry, sorry. Jay Triano. He coached um, Toronto back in the uh, uh, the old days. So I mean, he's had. Speaking of Devin Booker, I mean, he's just had four. He's just been a revolving door of coaches, and when you have a revolving door of coaches and players, it's different expectations, it's different sets, it's different calls, it's different languages, it's different cultures in terms of what the coaches want them to do, different offenses, different defensive concepts. And you're speaking about a guy in Devin Booker who only played a year at the University of Kentucky, and you're asking him in his first four years, which means he's around 23, 24 years old, to consume all of that? You couldn't ask someone who's played in the league 10, 12, 15 years to expect to uh, be successful with that situation. You're speaking about some of the players who, uh, 
She's speaking about some of the players who Booker played for. Chris Humphreys, you know, Miss Kardashian, Bryce Cotton, Chase Budinger, who was awesome in high school. I don't know what happened when he went to Arizona. But ooh. Dragon Bender, the second coming of Nicholas Skidisvili, Marquise Crisp, that jackass who couldn't uh, contain his immaturity. Josh Jackson, another clown from Kansas who couldn't uh, get it right as a professional. Alfred Payton, the next Gary Payton who couldn't shoot. Kelly Oubre, that, um, that, that that knucklehead on the basketball court. Archie Goodwin, played at Kentucky one year, foolishly went to the NBA, and I don't know what the hell is he doing now. Brandon Knight, Alex Lynn out of Maryland. I mean, these are some of the players that... These are some of the players that Devin, uh, Devin Booker has had to play with. You're going to try to tell me that Tyler, Tyler Hero was drafted by the Phoenix Suns, and he went through this bullshit? Will anybody be sitting up here talking about, yeah, I think that in a few years he's going to be better than Devin Booker? And by, you know, in you know reversing the, the argument, if Devin Booker was drafted by the Phoenix, by the uh, Miami Heat, how good would Devin Booker be right now? You're speaking about legendary players and the number of coaches they had, as I mentioned before, Devin Booker, four coaches in four years, shit. Dirk Nowitzki played 21 seasons and had only three coaches. They're just speaking about Avery Johnson and Don Nelson and and uh, Rick, Rick Carlisle. Tim Duncan only had one coach for 19 years. John Stockton had Frank Layden and, um, and um, Jerry Sloan in the 19 years that he played. Dwayne Wade had what? Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra. He had five coaches and played 16 seasons. So I guess if you count all, I don't remember who the coach at Cleveland was. Who was the coach at Cleveland? I don't know, man. But uh, basically, you know, Dwayne Wade played 16 seasons and had only one more coach than Devin Booker had in his first four years. Bill Russell had two coaches. One of them was himself when he played 13 seasons. Michael Jordan had four coaches when he played 15 seasons. Two of them were Dunn Collins. The other one was Stan Allback. The other one, of course, was uh, Phil Jackson. So... I'm not ready to sit there and talk about, you know, Tyler Hero being better ultimately than Devin Booker. Slow down a little bit. But I tell you what, as I'm speaking about this here on Wendell's World in Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast. You know, I'm thinking about the teams that are drafted with the number 13 pick in the NBA drafts over the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. That's the last thing when you're speaking about bad luck. I mean, if you're looking at the players since 1985 that have been drafted number 13, you're speaking about Tyler Hero. In 2017, you're speaking about Donovan Mitchell. 2015, Devin Booker. 2014, Zach Levine. Yeah, right. T- uh, 2001, Richard Jefferson. 1996, somebody named Kobe Bean Bryant. 1994, Jalen Rose. Yeah, right. 1985, Carl Malone. So, yeah, man, looks like they're uh, looks like they're doing some work as far as with the 13th pick. So, yeah, I'm, 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 Heat culture, awesome. Heat culture, fantastic. Heat culture is mixed stars. But Tyler Hero being them being better ultimately than uh, I mean sorry Tyler Hero being better ultimately than Devin Booker pass.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour. Monsieur Nevozelle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Senor, senorita, chicas, chico, my man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I say, what's happening? I say, what's up? I say, God bless. I say, fair wishes, great wishes to all those around the globe listening to this podcast and for... An American, for those who are listening in other countries, I just want to confirm, especially after tonight's debate, because as I'm recording this podcast, I'm uh, looking at the screen here on my big screen television in my humble abode townhome in Northwest Las Vegas. Yes, we're speaking about that shit show with that fucking piece of shit, misogynistic, antichrist, asshole, racist, incompetent fuckhead that we have as a president right now. Yes, yes. Everything that you think about Americans is true. That's that's all I got to say. Man, you motherfuckers really that dumb? Yep. That motherfucker's your president? You actually voted for him? You, you, th- that country actually voted for him? Yep. Voted for him enough to win? Yep. And after all the fuck-ups that he's done, the fact that now your country is a fucking joke, that people, millions upon millions of people are going to vote for him? Yep. Man, y'all are some dumb motherfuckers. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, man, I'm, you know, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, Western Conference champion Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James is going to the final for the 10th time in his 17-year career in the league. He's made the finals in nine of the past 10 seasons and in 10 of his last 13. I love this bullshit about, you know, he's going to be going to a 10th NBA final and you still got these stupid motherfuckers out here speaking about, yeah, but he's three and six, soon to be three and seven. You're right, man. He fucking sucks. Jeez, three and seven in the NBA finals? That motherfucker sucks. I would trade him. He should have been traded from Cleveland and Miami long ago. Man, that guy really does suck. It's been 10 years since the Lakers franchise has made it to the NBA Finals. It's the longest stretch of time the Lakers have not reached the championship, championship series since, since 1980. Look, I get the Lakers some credit, man. The Lakers know who they are when we're speaking about building a team. You know, spoke about the heat culture and how they got this from the San Antonio Spurs. You got this from the Utah Jazz and... You can almost say that the Miami Heat are representing all these small little markets who don't have a chance to get themselves a LeBron James, have themselves to get themselves a, a high price, high impact free agent and all those things. So the Miami Heat are standing up and playing for those guys. Well, the Los Angeles Lakers are playing for those teams who are like, fuck it. We don't need to draft high. We don't need to go ahead and build. We don't need to player develop. We don't need to do any of that shit. We're this team. We're this franchise. We're in this market. All we need to do is get ourselves some really good basketball players through free agency. That's what we need to do. We need to have ourselves a really good capologist, and we need to know exactly about two years out when this player is going to become a free agent so we can go and do everything that we can to get him. Now, for a long time, especially after they got themselves LeBron D. Wade and Chris Bosh, that the Miami Heat were considered one of those teams that would whine and dine and mainly, mainly go for big fish. And if you're even read the tea leaves and read the rumors, I mean, the Miami Heat, as of right now, are starting to 
uh, cultivate a plan for them to try to woo Giannis to Dendekupo when he becomes a free agent. So keep your eyes out for that. But, you know, for the most part, as I mentioned before in the other segments of my show, the uh, Miami Heat, the way that this team is construed right now, it was built the more old-fashioned, uh, traditional way. That ain't the case with the Los Angeles Lakers. They tried that shit. You know, they tried to go through the draft and development and do all these things and take your lumps and build and build unity and build chemistry. Something that the Denver Nuggets are doing right now. Something that the Boston Celtics are doing right now. You know, no, no. The Lakers are like, we're the fucking Lakers. We're the team to where if a superstar looking to go somewhere, if a superstar is a superstar, we're like the New York Yankees of the NBA. We're like, you know, the glamour team. So, of course, if you're speaking about the best player in the league, the best player uh, coming down the pike, that they're going to be wanting to go to the Los Angeles Lakers in free agency. So that's the way the team was built. They went out, got themselves LeBron James, with his, which is more than just the foundation. I mean, if you're speaking about getting yourself LeBron James, even when they got him at the age of, what, 33? I mean, that still just right there puts you in a strong position uh, to get yourself to uh, NBA championship quality very, very quickly. And then the fact that because of the Lakers acquiring LeBron James, it stoked the interest in Anthony Davis when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans to say, "Uh, you know what, fellas, Uh, this losing every year and me playing in front of uh, nobody in the town which really cares about his football team and that's about it. I have a house in the offseason in Malibu. That's going to be my home anyway. Yeah, really not interested in sticking around and playing the prime of my career you know, in this environment. I'm going to the Lakers. So there you go. So, you know, the Lakers took advantage of that, just like the Los Angeles Clippers took advantage of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Of course, one turned out well, the other one turned out... Um, so the Lakers did it right. The Lakers, look, if you're, the, if, if you're that franchise, you don't worry about going ahead and rebuilding. That team is not rebuilding. That team is a reloader. If the New York Knicks had an owner who actually gave a fuck about his team, they could be in that position. The way Pat Riley has constituted the Miami Heat, they are going to be in that position. Because the Dallas Mavericks drafted themselves Luka Doncic, they are going to be in that position for the next 10 to 12 years. Because of what the foundation that was set by Doc Rivers, the Los Angeles Clippers possibly have a good chance to be that type of franchise. The Chicago Bulls, if they ever got their head on straight, they got rid of uh, John Pax and they need to get rid of Garth Foreman next, but they're another uh, destination team that should not be thinking about rebuilding or doing it the old-fashioned, traditional way. The Miami Heat, the Utah Jazz, the Sacramento Kings, the, Indiana, the, the Indiana, Indianapolis Pacers, the um, Orlando Magic Way, even though Orlando should be more of a uh, free agent destination spot also. But, you know, so the Lakers did the right thing, man. If you take a look at that team, they went out, LeBron, free agent. JaVale was on the team last year. Dwight Howard, free agent. Jared Dudley, free agent. Rajon Rondo, free agent. Avery Bradley, free agent. Alex Caruso, unsigned free agent two-way guy. Um, KCP was on the team last year, but I believe that he was a free agent guy. Very few team, very few players on the Lakers squad this year who were drafted. I think the only one was uh, Kyle Kuzma, right? He's the only one left on the uh, that experiment where 
you know, the Lakers had themselves a rash of high draft picks that got them nowhere, that did them nothing in terms of improving their stock, in terms of bringing back that great Laker glory. If you think about it, before LeBron came in, the last Laker team that actually did anything was the 2012-2013 Lakers team. Remember that team that was supposed to be the next super team where the Lakers acquired Dwight Howard? They sent out um, Andrew Bynum and a couple of other folks. They got themselves Dwight Howard from Orlando, who was, you know, kind of, you know, boxing and rebounding his way out to want to try to go to Los Angeles and play. So they acquired Dwight. They acquired Steve Nash. They had a starting lineup of five all-stars consisting of Kobe, Paul Gasol, Metal World Peace, Nash and Howard. Well, we saw how that turned out, right? That was a year from hell. They fired Mike Brown after they went 0-8 in the preseason, 1-4 to start the season. Mike Brown was trying to put in the Princeton offense, and Kobe and those guys were like, what the fuck? So they got rid of uh, Mike Brown. They went ahead and replaced it with Mike D'Antoni. I remember the reports at that time that they had a shot with Phil Jackson, who had some interest in coming back to coach that team. I think he was always enamored with uh, coaching Dwight Howard, but uh, management really didn't like that idea. Mitch Kupchak was like, you know what, man, I'm the general manager. If you bring in Phil, uh, I don't think I'm going to be having a, a GM position that much longer. So now nah, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that uh, my job is safe. So they turned that down, uh, brought in Mike D'Antoni. Mike, Kobe Bryant ended that season on the 80th game, suffering from a torn Achilles tendon. Steve Nash only played 32 games because of an injury. Howard played the entire season or a lot of the season with a torn labrum. Metal World Peace tore the lateral meniscus in his left knee. Paul Gasol only played 49 games. If you remember, that's also the year that on February 18th that season, the day after the All-Star game, owner Jerry Buss died after being hospitalized for 18 months with cancer. Uh, the Lakers qualified on the last day of the playoffs. They got swept by the San Antonio Spurs. That was the game where Dwight Howard got kicked out of the game in uh, game four. And as he was walking off the court, here comes Kobe Bryant hobbling back to the sidelines, both ships passing in the night, not even recognizing, not even acknowledging each other. That was a rough season, very rough season. So they finished seventh in the Western Conference, finished the season 45 and 37. Who would have known? Who would have known during that time when they were like, man, Dwight, get the fuck out of here, man. Get out of here. The Lakers went from, I think that was also the year they tried to acquire Chris Paul or a couple of years, whatever. But at the beginning of that year, it was like super team, super team, super team. That was going to be the next super team. And it was like, oh, goody, goody. We have the chance now to face the uh, Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And we're finally going to get that Kobe-LeBron matchup. Ooh, goody, goody, and things just fell apart, and they fell apart very quickly. But who would have thought from 2013 to 2017, which included the time Kobe Bryant finally retired. Kobe, when did he retire? What, 2016 or something like that, somewhere around there? Who would have thought that that would have been his last, you know, hurrah in terms of the Lakers franchise with him on the team, with him on the roster, sniffing the playoffs? Because from 2013... The 2017, they were one of the worst teams in basketball. I know. I was here. <laughs> Their combined record at that time during those, those seasons, they won 91 games. They lost 237. 
That's a 27% winning percentage. And if you remember all of the players that at that time, during that time period that they drafted, you're speaking about, you know, they never got the number one pick. But look, in 2014, they drafted Julius Randle with the number seven pick. In 2015, they drafted D'Angelo Russell with the number two pick instead of uh, Christoph Porzingis or Devin Booker. 2016, they drafted Brandon Ingram with the number two pick. He turned out to be a pretty good player. And 2017, though, this was the one where it was kind of like, shit. They drafted Lonzo Ball with the number two pick over Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, and Bam out of Bayou. <laughs> would, would LeBron have even thought about trying to go after Anthony Davis or trying to convince Anthony Davis to come to L.A. if the Lakers would have drafted out of Bayou in 2017. So they also that year drafted Kyle Kuzman with the number 27th uh, pick and traded up for uh, Joe uh, for Josh Hart. So uh, this was a situation where, look, they had what, the number seven, number two, number two, number two pick, and they still couldn't do anything. Luke Walton tried. He still couldn't do anything with that team. So when LeBron was talking about, you know, I want to go ahead and, and join the Lakers, continue – um, my legacy continue. The fact that I have a home, I make my off season home in LA. My family is there. They love it out here. And, you know, playing for the Lakers would just be the icing on the cake. So we went ahead and did that. And then he played a year with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle. I think what D'Angelo Russell was gone by then, wasn't he? Didn't they trade him to, uh, they traded him in the, uh, the big white boy, from Europe, from Europe, they traded him to uh, Brooklyn, didn't they? Something like that. But uh, so yeah, so LeBron played with them for a year, and he was like, mm, you know what, man, this shit ain't gonna work. Uh, Luke, see you later. Uh, we need AD. Do what you need to do to get yourself AD. So goodbye, Brandon Ingram. Goodbye, Lonzo Ball. Goodbye, future draft picks. So, uh, but it paid off. As of right now, the immediacy is it paid off. They gave up so much. And we still don't know what's going to become of Alonzo of Lonzo Ball as a player. We still don't know the ceiling, the potential, full potential of Brandon Ingram. He made great strides this year playing under Alvin Gentry and uh, made the All-Star game. But, you know, we don't know. We're going to have to revisit that trade about four or five years down the road. But, you know, AD was going to the Lakers at a free agent. But LeBron was like, you know, I can't wait. Get him. Get him. So you got Danny Green, off-season free agent. Dwight Howard, off-season free agent. Rajon Rondo, Marquise Morris, in-season pickup. Avery Bradley, all free agent acquisitions with the exception of Morris. JaVale McGee, KCP, Kuzma, Alex Caruso were on the team last season. So that's how that team was built, basically. And don't forget, they were also in the running to get themselves Kawhi Leonard. If you remember that. So it was going to be LeBron, Kawhi, AD, and then two guys with the basketball skill of my mother and my aunt. Even though my mom had a nasty left hand when she was in her 60s. Boy, was she able to put the ball on the floor. Reverse pivot was just awesome. And don't leave it wide open from 19 feet in the corner. That's buckets. No, but really. So, um, you know, it shows you the greatness of LeBron. Because I'm thinking of all the teams that he's taken to the NBA Finals. With the exception of the first team that he had with Booby and Larry Hughes and Zarunas Ilgaskis and those guys where they went up against San Antonio, this is probably the least talented squad, even though he has 
a top five, top six, top seven player in Anthony Davis. This is probably the least and shallowest team that he's taken to the NBA Finals. I think as far as fit, and I think as far as where he is in his career right now, that uh, Anthony Davis is his best, uh, has been the best teammate that he's had. Yeah, Dwayne Wade, that first year or two when LeBron came over was awesome. Kyrie, great. But, you know, I think in terms of just how they play together and those type of things, and the fact that LeBron is a guy who's basically a point forward guard, and you have someone like a Anthony Davis, who's a power forward center, that, um, you know, front court, back court type of uh, situation, I think this is uh, the perfect scenario. LeBron James, 17th year, 35 years of age, 50,000 miles on the odometer in terms of uh, playing. I think that uh, it was ripe for Anthony Davis to become the basketball player that he is, which I think as of right now, he's been a little bit underrated. He really has. I think in terms of Anthony Davis, if the Los Angeles Lakers are going to win this series, I don't think it's going to be LeBron who's going to be the series MVP for the Lakers to win. I think it's going to be Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has to be the best player on a consistent basis for the Lakers. And the reason why I say that is I think LeBron in this series is the best closer. But LeBron needs to be in a position physically for him with four or five or six minutes left to go in the game to not only take over the game offensively, but also go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lock down on Jimmy Butler and not give him anything. Or even, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lock down on Bam out of Bayou and I'm going to uh, stop his drives. I'm going to keep him off the boards. I'm going to get him in foul trouble with my drive. So those are the things. LeBron, when we speak about the... Oh, shit. I don't want to use the term deterioration. In his game, LeBron is a basketball savant. He's a basketball genius. So the skills are there. But just in terms of his physical being, while he's still a very imposing basketball player physically, he's not the LeBron James of 2012. He's not the LeBron James of 2016. He's not that LeBron James of Game 7 a couple of years ago when he was with Cleveland when they played Game 7 on the road against the Boston Celtics. He's he's not that guy that uh, basically could have won the MVP with the Cleveland Cavaliers his first year back when they lost in six games to the uh, Golden State Warriors. He, he's not that guy physically anymore to where he can put a team on his back for long stretches and uh, lead them to uh, victory. He's not that guy. But I do think in terms of he does have the skill, he still has the physical uh, being to go ahead with six, seven minutes left to go in the game and say, okay, I'm going to do my LeBron James things of old. For them to get in that position, Anthony Davis has to be the man. And even when LeBron is going to be in that um, in that closing mode, He's still going to need Anthony Davis. If you remember, who hit the game winner in Game 3 in the Western Conference Finals against the Denver Nuggets for L.A.? It wasn't LeBron. It was Anthony Davis. And it wasn't a situation where LeBron got the ball, he was triple teamed, and he threw it to the right guy. That was an out-of-bounds play on the left-hand side where Rondo threw the ball on the bounce to Davis, who rose to the three-point left side, and made the shot. So LeBron, you could say, was either A, a decoy, or B, not even involved. When was the last time that happened? LeBron not scratching. LeBron didn't go, uh, what was it, game, game three, game four 
David Blatt on um, on Frank Vogel at that time. So yeah, look, LeBron is you know he's had four triple doubles in the playoffs this year. He's averaging close to twenty seven points, ten rebounds, nine assists. Guy's still tremendous. The guy is still awesome. But uh, again, you want to win that MVP. I think Anthony Davis is going to have to be the best player. Not only is he going to have to be the guy that's going to be that interior scorer, he's going to be the guy in charge for the most part. Yeah, you can throw Dwight on him for a little bit. Yeah, you can throw JaVale on him a little bit. But for the most part, when it comes time to finally going ahead and doing some work on the defensive end, Anthony Davis is going to have to guard Bam Adebayo, especially if uh, matchups dictated in terms of uh, you know where you're going to play you can't do the too big thing if the Heat are going to come out with a you know a lineup of Bam, Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and Gordon Dragic. You can't have two bigs on that lineup. I mean, who the fuck is going to be guarding you know Robinson? Who the fuck is going to be guarding you know those guys on the wing? Anthony Davis is not going to be running around twenty five feet away from the basket, you know dodging through screens, trying to keep up with uh, Duncan Robinson. He's not going to try to be on the pick and roll up front with uh, Goran Dragic. And Frank Vogel is not going to play zone. So in those situations, it's going to dictate that Anthony Davis goes ahead and he guards Bam on the bayou. So that's going to be one of the keys of this game or of the series. So I've always thought we, we, we kind of forgot about Anthony Davis, didn't we? I didn't forget about him because I'm doing this podcast. It's called Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. And my name is Wendell Wallace. And I don't forget about Anthony Davis. Not on this podcast. But I think that we've kind of forgotten how great he really was. First of all, you don't go ahead and trade basically your entire draft pick for the last couple of years. And basically mortgage your long-term future if the guy isn't superstar, franchise-worthy, talented. So, uh, you know, Anthony Davis was supposed to be, you remember AD coming out of Kentucky, right? I mean, he was supposed to be that transcending talent, that guy who was supposed to lead team to championships. He was all of those things. He was supposed to be the next generation Tim Duncan in terms of his style of play, in terms of his impact, in terms of, you know, in the year 2023, the way Anthony Davis is playing the way that he's been playing for his entire career. If Tim Duncan would have been playing in today's game, that's who he would have looked like. That was the expectations that Anthony Davis had coming out of uh, Kentucky. But, you know, playing for a team like the New Orleans Pelicans, playing for a team and, you know, the, the injuries that he had, nagging, not serious, but it was just always something. I mean, in the first couple of years of his career, I mean, you could say that he was brittle, if you're speaking about the eight-year career that he had, he's only played 75 games twice. Other times, he's played 68 games or less. Uh, he played for the Pelicans, never made the playoffs four or five of those years. He finished under 500. He's only won one playoff game. So, you know, he's playing down in the bayou. He's not playing. Well, New Orleans is not in the bayou, but uh, he's not playing in Baton Rouge. But, I mean, he's playing in the Big Easy, which is not a which is not a big basketball market. The, the Pelicans had no type of history whatsoever. So it was easy for him to uh, kind of get lost in the shuffle. I mean, as great as he is, he's not this guy with a 46-inch vertical. He doesn't have the type of game that's going to be making the top 10 plays on Sports Center. 
He's not the mo most loquacious guy. He ain't going to call out nobody. He ain't going to act a fool. You don't have to worry about him being arrested for gun charges or, or, or beating up a woman or driving drunk or doing something stupid like that. You know, he's a very quiet, unassuming guy. He's a nice guy. He's not going to spit on any kids. He's not going to have a dog fighting ring. He's not going to be active in a double murder and then try to uh, hide the evidence. He's not going to go drunk driving and kill a couple of people. He ain't going to go Leonard, Leonard, uh, Leonard Little or Dante Stallworth on anybody. He's not going to get drunk during the offseason and get himself into a boat and get himself into a boat accident. He ain't going to get into a car on the uh, German Autobahn and kill somebody doing that type of stuff. He's just not that type of guy. So he doesn't bring any type of attention to him at all. And sometimes the worst kind of attention is no attention. So here's Anthony Davis averaging 25 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, playing 65 games a year. The Pelicans are terrible. Hardly anybody's going to their games. There's no atmosphere. There's no culture. There's no buzz. It's a New Orleans Saints town. It's a LSU uh, Tigers uh, region. It's SEC football region. So it was easy for Anthony Davis to uh, to get lost in the shuffle. But I think that uh, he's going to be uh, he's going to be counted on. Like again, as I go to break, I say this: Lakers championship, getting LeBron his fourth. Securing that legacy is going to be up to not LeBron James, but Anthony Davis. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hello. How you doing? What's going on? Hold on for a second. Let me read the description here on the TV screen. Oh, shit. Oh, they got Chopped Jr. on the Food Network channel. I like Chopped. Show me Chopped. I don't want to see no damn kids up there fixing food. Damn. They always got these goddamn kids up there. I'm like, I want to see those brats. Come on, man. Show me some chefs. Show me some real chefs. I love myself some Food Network channel. Diners driving and dives. Guy grocery games. Chopped. Beat Bobby Flay. Love Bobby Flay. I love Beat Bobby Flay. I might be the only one there who watches that show religiously and is like, God, I hope those folks who are trying to beat Bobby Flay, I hope they lose. Because those jackasses, I mean, they're great chefs. They're awesome chefs. You can't get on a show where you're going to be facing one of the top iron chefs and Bobby Flay. You you can't get on that show unless you are one 
bad MF in terms of cooking, in terms of being prosperous, in terms of being successful in what you do. So those folks who are on Bobby Flay, I mean, those are all all all-stars, man. Those are all very high-end chefs, great chefs. But you're speaking about trying to beat my man Bobby Flay. That shit ain't happening a lot. So I love it when these people talk shit. Oh, yeah, Bobby, you're too old. You're going down. Oh, yeah, Bobby, you're scared of me. Oh, yeah, Bobby, I'm going to run the floor with you. And, you know, Flay's just up there laughing like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's almost like if I was Flay, I would be like, you guys realize that I'm cooking against you with your signature dish. The one that made you famous. The one that made you a Michelin star restaurant. The one that made you named the top chef in whatever city that you're going to be in. These guys are all-stars. These guys and gals who are cooking against Flay, highly, highly skilled chefs. Some of the best in the country. Some of the best in the world. And these folks are cooking their best, best meal or their best dish. And Flay's like, uh, let me see. Yeah, I have uh, cooked that a couple of times. I'll beat your ass with it. And he does. And he does. And these folks are up there talking shit, this, that, and the other. And Flay's like, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. And the guests that he has on the show to, uh, you know, razz him and everything, it's like, uh-huh, okay, great. You know, Alex Bornicelli and, uh, oh, and who else? Amanda Freitag and, you know, and uh, Matt, Mike Murphy. And, you know, cause a couple of times they have some stars from somewhere else. And Ted Allen comes in and all of these guys. You know, M- Michael Simon, all of these, you know, really super duper chefs, man. You know, Bornicelli, I mean, that's a bad woman. You don't mess with her, man. You don't mess with her in the kitchen. That's a bad, bad woman. That's a, that's a, um, that's an iron chef. Jeffrey Zakarian, iron chef. You know, Mark Murphy, bad motherfucker. I mean, these guys are just some bad folks in terms of the kitchen and they you know, try to razz Flay and everything. And he's like, oh, okay. At the end, we'll see who wins. <laughs> and most of the time is always him. Even though when they give the uh, judges, because they have to face the person, the judges, three judges, of course, very accomplished, you know, chefs and all this kind of stuff are judging the food. And, uh, you know, they're, it's a blind taste test. So they don't know which one is Flay and they don't know which one is his competitor. So when they're critiquing the meal that they ate or critiquing the food that they tasted, you know, the competitor and Flay have to sit there poker faced. Because if, you know, someone starts making a critique and, you know, Flay goes, No, that's not. I didn't, that shit wasn't salty. What are you talking about? I I didn't put any salt on that thing. Well, then they kind of know that, oh, I must be tasting Bobby Flay's dish. So they can't give any indication to the judge with any facial expression or whatever about whose dish it is. Because they want to see, they want this copacetic, they want to keep this as fair as possible. But if I'm Bobby Flay, I'm a fucking iron chef, man. I'm a bad dude. I'm a bad man. I'm a bad, bad man. Leroy Brown, Jim Croce. Man, I got these folks up there talking about my dish, and they always give a really good uh, point about the meal, and then a really, not I wouldn't say negative, but it's like, oh, you know, it's good, but I really could have used this, or there was just too much salt, or, you know, I wish they would have put in this, or this accoutrement wasn't really necessary, this, that, and the other. So, if I'm a judge, I ain't saying anything negative about Bobby Flay. Nothing. This guy's an iron chef. You're gonna be sitting up. You're gonna ask me to sit there and be like, "Well, you know, they could have, uh, he could have done this better, and he could have done that better." Shoot, man. If I were flame, well, I don't know how I would have been able to keep my, keep my calm sometimes when they're critiquing that food. 
Oh, man, I would have been like, oh, you know what? Oh, I'm sorry about that. So you're trying to say that my dish needs this, that, and the other? Okay, well, how about doing this? Why don't you put your, why don't your fat ass come over here, put on an apron, go over to my kitchen, show me how it's done, Mr. Fucking Food Critique? Don't you think my shit ain't awesome because it is? Why don't you go over there and show me how it's done? Shit. Don't be fucking with me. I'm Bobby Flay. So love myself to Food Network. Love Food Network. Wendell's World of Sports. And that's my analysis on the Food Network. By the way, Chopped and Flay. And can we get some black folks on there that can't be eliminated in the first round? Damn! <laughs> it's like every time they're on that show, I'm like, oh shit, well this motherfucker's going to be eliminated in the first round. Black. I mean, I'm, I'm happy when they make it past the first round. It's like after that, it's gravy. For me, it's like, you know what? I mean, there ain't no money. I mean, the black folks don't come on those shows that much to begin with. And when they do, a lot of times they're gone in the first round or they don't get to meet Bobby Flay. Or if they do get to meet Bobby Flay, they lose. Guys, grocery games are the only ones where black folks can go on a show and win. So it's like with Chop, and I'm not saying there's anything racist about it. I'm just saying they need to get themselves some better black chefs to go on those shows. I don't think there's anything. I don't think those guys are tasting their food and saying, you're Chop because you're black. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying it's like, Man, on those shows, I'm just happy when the black guy or the black gal makes it to the second round. After that, it's gravy. I mean, you can chop them after the second round. It's like, man, the first round is always like, oh, you've been chopped. Shit. Come on, bro. Come on, man. You do better than that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, got that out of my system. Let me go back to talking about some NBA finals. LeBron James versus Pat Riley. Some of the storylines when we're speaking about these finals, bad blood still exists between the two since James left Miami to go back to Cleveland. There's always been this, like, distance, fuck you, I don't like you, go fuck yourself type of uh, feelings toward the two. You know, I mean, he, President Pat Riley, he admitted that he was very angry when uh, James left. He was talking to uh, some, he was talking to, uh, what was it, Chris Haynes of uh, ESPN? No, he was all, no, 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 he was talking to ESPN. This was ESPN. This is Riley in 2017, where he said, quote, I was silent. I didn't say anything. My mind began to just go, and it was over. I was very angry when LeBron left. It was personal for me. It was, it just was. I had a very good friend who talked me off the ledge and kept me from going out there and saying something like Dan Gilbert. I'm glad I didn't do it. Dan Gilbert went nuts when LeBron left Cleveland for Miami the first time. Then in his book, Riley said in his book, The Soul of Basketball, and this is according to Yahoo Sports, I was absolutely livid when I expressed to myself and my closest friends my beautiful plan all of a sudden came crashing down that team in 10 years could have won five or six championships. Of course, James went to uh, go to four more consecutive NBA finals with the Cleveland Cavaliers after he left and then won one championship beating the so-called best team in NBA history, the 73-9 and Golden State Warriors. So what he said to ESPN, this is according to Yahoo Sports. This is what James said. When I decided to leave Miami, and I'm not going to name any names, I can't do that, but there were some people that I trusted and built relationships with in those four years who told me I was making the biggest mistake of my career. And that shit hurt me. And I know it was an emotional time that they told me that because I was leaving. They just told me it was the biggest mistake I was making in my career. And that right there was my motivation. Now, all right, look, I, you know, we're, we're speaking about two guys in LeBron and uh, Pat Riley who are alpha dogs, who are control freaks, 
who are egomaniacs, who are, uh, you know, I'm doing it my way, fuck you, this is what I'm doing. And look, they've reached that stature in life where, you know, they're one of the very few out there that have the ability to basically kind of do that, to basically say, fuck you, I'm going to do this, and uh, whatever. You know, and of course, Riley was hurt. His ego was hurt because, again, he thought that he put together something in terms of uh, winning championships and building a dynasty, and this was great, and it was going to move him up the legacy line and all those type of things, and he put his trust in LeBron, and I guess when LeBron left, he felt kind of bamboozled, run amok, and, um, you know, that he was screwed, basically, because LeBron never really gave Pat Riley the opportunity to try to uh, get him to stay. I mean, it was very like, all right, go ahead, say your shit. I want to go over here where you're talking. I'm going to uh, daydream. I'm going to draw pictures. And I'm going to, uh, you know, think about other things other than listening to your pitch. And I think that LeBron gave off that type of, you know, that feeling to the heat. It's like, is this motherfucker even paying attention to what we're saying? I mean, am I wasting my time here? What the hell's going on? You don't do that shit to Pat Riley. You don't treat Pat Riley that way. You know, so I think, you know, Riley was was naturally hurt by that. I'm giving you my soul. I'm giving you my me. And we can bond and we can be MJ and Phil Jackson. Or we can bond and be Popovich and Duncan. Or we can bond and be Russell and Auerbach. And LeBron's like, no, I don't do that shit. I'm not one of these guys. I mean, if you take a look at LeBron's career... He ain't one of these guys that's going to uh, bond with anybody. I mean, he'll be friendly. He'll be teammates. He'll hang. He'll be a good guy. He'll invite him to um, come over to his house for Halloween parties and costumes and stuff. He'll laugh and he'll joke and he'll be appreciative. But, uh, you know, it's all about business with LeBron when it comes to uh, these type of things. And, and, And in a way, it was... Business also with Pat Riley. It's business that he wanted LeBron to stay so he can win championships. I mean, more than anything, he wanted LeBron to stay because Pat Riley wanted LeBron to stay because, well, he wanted to win championships. And without him winning, without him being there, what does that mean for Dwayne Wade? What does that mean for Chris Bosh? What does that mean for the Heat moving forward? They were going to break this thing down and spend a couple of years rebuilding and maybe two or three years come back to win another two, three or four championships. And LeBron said, nah, that's that's fine. I'm kind of looking to win it now. I'm looking to win it very soon. So he looked around the landscape. He saw Kyrie Irving. He saw what he did winning the MVP at the All-Star game where he was there. He's, you know, kind of got the fact that, wow, it'd be kind of cool in terms of the legacy of LeBron James for me to come back after leaving. I mean, that whole storyline would be, be uh, great. Convince Kevin Love, you know, when the... Cleveland Cavaliers won the lottery and selected Andrew Wiggins. LeBron was like, nah, that's okay. I'm not playing with Andrew Wiggins. Um, Kevin, you want to play uh, with me in in, um, in Cleveland? And Kevin Love, who was in Purgatory, a.k.a. Minnesota, was sitting up there going, fuck yeah. <laughs> Shit, I've been playing with the Minnesota fucking Timberwolves my entire career. I haven't even gone close. I haven't got close to winning shit. I'm tired of losing every year. And I'm tired of losing in all places Minnesota. soda. I mean, Miami, I mean, uh, Cleveland might not be L.A. or Miami, but shit, at least I'm going to be winning. So LeBron orchestrated all that in terms of uh, go get Kevin Love. Thank you. So, I mean, LeBron kind of did a Pat Riley a little bit and put together his super squad, which then went out and I made the 
NBA Finals for multiple years. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Riley, ego, pride, you know, you ain't going to let that shit, uh, you know, you ain't going to let bygones be bygones with that stuff. So for Riley, I mean, how sweet would it be for him to win a championship by beating LeBron James and basically saying, fuck you. This could have been you, but, uh, you know, I gotcha. I gotcha. So I think maybe for Pat Riley, and I'm quite sure at 75 years old, I mean, he doesn't have another 10, 15 years left. I heard that uh, for years he's been building this, you know, this this compound or this, you know, this dream home in Malibu to where eventually he wants to reside there full time. Um, so he doesn't have that many more years left as, you know, a full-time Heat employee or what he's doing now, the capacity of how he's invested with the Miami Heat right now. So, I mean, this could be his last hurrah. This could be his last chance. And I think out of all the things that he wants to do, winning a championship, of course, I don't think that if the Denver Nuggets would have made the championship, I don't think that he would have been sitting back going, oh, fuck, fuck, I don't care if we win or not. I mean, winning the championship is the only thing, but to do it, and beat and beat LeBron James. Oh, it's almost like, you know, let me ride off to the sunset saying yippee kaye, motherfucker. So there you go with that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. One thing that I was thinking about with Pat Riley and taking a look at the totality of his entire career. I mean, this is a guy who is like, man, this guy might have as a basketball lifer. This guy might be the greatest basketball lifer. I might have had the greatest basketball story of them all, if you really think about it. I mean, this was, if you think about his journey as far as a coach, a player, a president, of all, of all of those things, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody who's had a more, you know, unbelievable resume if Miami can go ahead and win this title. I've always said that the best basketball player of them all, of all time. When I'm talking about the best basketball player, not NBA player, but if you count high school, college, and pros, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And you take a look at his, just his whole entire fucking life, man, where that guy came up and the people that he met and the, you know, the the, the activism and, and everything like that. I mean, the most fascinating basketball player of all time might be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar along with Bill Russell and some others. But um, just as far as, you know, what Pat Riley has been as a basketball player since college, it's just been unreal. He had a chance to, you know, he, he, he's been in the NBA Finals for six straight decades. In the 1970s, he was a player. He was part of that team that won 69 games in 1971-72. Bill Sharman was the coach along with Casey Jones and Wilt and Happy Harrison and Gail Goodridge and Jim Clemens and um, Wilt Jerry West of those guys. In the 1980s, he won, what, five, well, four championships as the head coach with the Lakers. 1990s, he revitalized the New York Knicks. In the 2000s, he won a championship with the uh, Miami Heat. And then in 2010s, he won a championship with the Heat as far as the president is concerned. So now we're taking a look at 2020. I mean, he has another op- he has another situation to win a championship, and you also think about Pat Riley was in the uh, was in one of the most important games in college basketball history. If you think about it, because he was one of the key players and one of the star players for Kentucky when they played Texas Western. Now I think it's UTEP 
coached by Don Haskins, I believe back in 1966. And that was a momentous history impact social changing game because Texas Western was the first team at that time to start five black players in a college basketball championship game and they went up against a incredible racist and a incredible piece of shit as far as a human being is concerned and Adolph Rupp and Kentucky's five white players at the time where Adolph Rupp forget starting five black players he didn't want black players on his team at all during that time so Pat Riley was part of that game and you think about some of the players that he coached and played against and it's been incredible. He's played with Elgin Baylor and Jerry West and Will Chamberlain. He coached Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson. Coached against Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing. Coached Shaquille O'Neal. Um, went up against Charles Barkley. Coached Alonzo Mourning, D. Wade, LeBron, Chris Bosh. Coached against uh, Phil Jackson. You know, Had James Worthy on his team. I mean, this guy's incredible. This guy coached or played with seven of the top 50 players in NBA history. The only thing that he hasn't done in his career is be a coach for the USA Olympic team. But other than that, it's, it's just unbelievable. And then you take a look at someone like a LeBron James and what his legacy means if he wins this. It means four championship rings. It means he's four and six in the NBA championship series. If you take a look at this, again, I think that this is a situation where this is the least talented team that he's taken to the NBA playoffs since he first went there in 2007. And, uh, you know, you're never going to a a Michael Jordan fan. A Michael Jordan sycophant is similar to a fan of the fucking idiot that we have in the White House right now. Nothing. Nothing that Michael, nothing that LeBron James can ever do will convince a Michael Jordan lover, dick sucker, you know, nut hugger, bow dower, sheep uh, type of guy to say that, you know what, at the very least, LeBron James is just as good. You will never get, just like you will never get a MAGA fuck face to sit there and say that their leader, their great white hope is a pathetic piece of shit. No matter what he does, no matter how big of a con he pulls, no matter what type of low standards that he has as just a human being. No matter how much he cheats, no matter how much he steals, no matter how much he lies, no matter how embarrassing he is as a human being, no much, no matter how much he resembles an antichrist. These fucking idiots, they this this guy could go ahead and violate their kids and their mother. And these stupid motherfuckers would be sitting up there talking about, well, you know what? Hey, he's better than Joe Biden. That's the same thing with the Michael Jordan fools who sit there. I mean, nothing but LeBron James can do. So we're past that nonsense. We're past that shit in terms of what, you know, LeBron James can do. But for the rational basketball fans and everything, it just gets them closer to um, just his greatness. And I'm never going to have the argument about LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Who's, who's better? Are you fucking kidding me? Who's better looking in their prime, Selma Hayek or Halle Berry? Can you go wrong with both? <laughs> it's either, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> My goodness gracious. I mean, if you're going to sleep with somebody, are you going to sleep with Jada Fire or Kelly Starr? Is there really a, a wrong answer to that? So, I mean, if you're starting a basketball team and you didn't get Michael Jordan and you had to settle for LeBron James, are you really unhappy with that?
If you take a look at a guy who's been to the NBA Finals almost twice as many times as Michael Jordan? Wow. Everything right now is just cake for LeBron James in terms of his legacy, in terms of everything. So, you know, it's it's going to be a great series, man. How are the Lakers going to attack Miami's 2-3 zone when you think about how poorly the Lakers shoot from the outside? Um, LeBron is, what, 5-17 on threes. He's 1-11 on mid-rate jumpers during the first four games of the series against Denver. He's going to have to be better. The matchup between Bam and Anthony Davis is going to be riveting. In fact, I think that's going to be the key to the series. Who's going to win right there? So uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, the Laker guards, who's going to be guarding Hero? Who's going to be guarding um, Gordon Dragic? Jimmy Butler? I mean, we think of Jimmy Butler as a all-star. But is Jimmy really Butler that guy who's going to like be that guy that's going to uh, take it to the next level and beat LeBron James? We'll see. Looking forward to it. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Uh, quickly, let me go ahead and get with the Boston Celtics in the Denver Nuggets. Denver, just keep improving. Just keep going. Don't make any more changes. Paul Millsap, see you later. Um, I think they have a good nucleus. I would go ahead and I would re-sign uh, Jeremy Grant. LeBron was talking to him after the series was over. If I'm Stan Kroenke and Michael Malone and everything, I'd be a little bit concerned about exactly what was LeBron what was LeBron talking to you about, Jeremy? So I would kind of get with that. Michael Porter Jr., man, that guy, you know, he is, he's impressive. He's a keeper. He's definitely a keeper. So I think that uh, Denver is on the rise. With the Celtics moving forward, I mean, the question you're going to have to have to ask the Celtics is, do you continue to keep the core of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker? I mean, everybody's kind of down on Jason Tatum. Hey, man, Jason, I mean, you know, Jason Tatum couldn't get it done at the main guy and everything like that. Jason Tatum is, what, 22 years old? <laughs> you're asking You're asking Jason Tatum to be the man when the guy's only 22 years old? And nobody else is there in terms of being a superstar. I mean, at least at least when Tim Duncan was 22, he had David Robinson. At least when Magic Johnson was 19 or 20, he had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. At least when Kobe Bryant was 21, he had Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, man, you're asking Jason Tatum, what, to ride with Jalen Brown, who's just as young and inexperienced as he is, and Kemba Walker, a guy who I don't think in his entire career had been to this point in the playoffs or had this type of success when he was with Charlotte. I'm not, hey man, I'm building around. I'm building around Jason Tatum. Now, the key is, of course, is that, you know, the key was, damn, in the middle, the uh, Celtics were so porous. Is there any way possibly that age could maybe possibly, you know, maybe package some of these guys to get himself an elite big man to deal without a bayou and just hope that the continued development of Jason Tatum could raise it to where he's a superstar or a franchise type player with another really good basketball player in the next couple of years could lead them to an NBA Finals, especially when you have such a very good coach in Brad Stevens. I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know if there is a Bam out of Bayou stopper out there. I don't know if there's anybody that a can stop Bam out of Bayou, especially as he continues to get better and put some range and some consistency on that outside shot. And then I don't know if there's any center on the offensive end that could punish out of Bayou long enough to where if you're going to 
put him on the court in the playoffs for an average of 39 to 42 minutes a game, that by the fourth quarter and seven minutes left to go, that he's going to be dragging his tongue down the court because not only is he doing work on the offensive end, he's going to have to turn around and guard somebody in the elite scoring physical center on the defensive end. I don't know if there's anything in the NBA resembling that. I mean, the first person that comes to my mind is Joel Embiid, but if you're thinking about, you know, who's going to tire, who's going to uh, mentally falter first in a matchup in a big game between Adebayu and Embiid, uh, I'm going to go with Embiid as the one who's going to falter first. And I don't see anybody else out there. So if you're going to look to trade or give up some of these draft picks, to, uh, you know, maybe get a big man because Daniel Tice is not the answer. Grant Williams is not the answer. Robin Robert Williams is not the answer. Robin Williams especially is not the answer because he's no longer with us, and that's no joke. But it's uh, just a matter of I just go ahead and keep this core of Tatum, Brown, and Walker, and Marcus Smart and Tack, and just let them grow and see what happens. And uh, I think with Danny Ainge... Danny Ainge, the one mistake that he made was uh, going ahead and he had all of the draft picks. He had all of that draft, uh, he had all of that draft equity and he put it, most of it into Kyrie Irving. And when that didn't work, they had to scramble and they got Kimball Walker. And I remember at that time, I mean, there was contemplation that, uh, you know, they would go out and get Jimmy Butler or they would go out and get a couple of other, try to get a couple of other superstars and they decided to cash in a lot of their chips on Kyrie Irving. And they thought that was going to be the guy to do for the Boston Celtics what Jimmy Butler did for the Miami Heat. And it only made the Boston Celtics a miserable, lovable, uh, an unlovable team to root for and watch that year. They're better with Kimba Walker on the team, but I don't know if Kimba Walker is going to be that guy if you take a look at the you know, playing career or take a look at the playing experience in the NBA. Tatum's still a pup. Brown's still a pup. Marcus is not there yet. Don't think he'll ever be in terms of being a guy to rely on to be a, you know, a, a, a I just don't think he's that. Um, I don't know with Kimba Walker. You're going to have to ride and die with them. You're going to have to ride and die. But I will say this. I think the Nuggets and the Celtics will make the NBA Finals before the Milwaukee Bucks or the um, Los Angeles Clippers do. And I think that's even if the Milwaukee Bucks attain Adenokupo and the Los Angeles Clippers stick with Kawhi in playoff P. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end it with this. The... Uh, Black America's head coach, Doc Rivers, is no longer coaching the L.A. Clippers. Doc was out. Uh, the Clippers head coach after seven seasons, finished with a 325 and 208 record. He reached a postseason. I mean, he did, the good, he, he did some good job. He did a good job without question. But, uh, you know, you, you can't lose a 3-1 to series lead after being ahead in all three series, all three uh, clinching games by double digits, especially in the second half. And then lose and then have all this turmoil. You just can't do it. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, Clippers assistant Ty Lue and Jeff Van Gundy are the 
top candidates to be considered to replace uh, Doc in Los Angeles. Rivers wants to coach again. He's already hearing from the Philadelphia 76ers. He's hearing from the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints, how about that? The New Orleans Pelicans. Right now, maybe the New Orleans Saints could use uh, Doc Rivers to coach. No, sorry, Sean. Um, but uh, yeah, if I'm Doc, I don't know, man. Because like I mentioned before, he did a great job with the 08 Boston Celtics when you had these big egos and you had these big resumes of guys who have done things in the league. But if you take a look at the last couple of not super teams, but teams that have been extremely talented, just something hasn't been right, just chemistry right, chemistry wise. When he had uh, that team with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul and JJ Redick and all these guys, I mean, no one liked that team, including themselves. They didn't like each other during that time. There was just all this turmoil. And was it Blake's team? Was it CP3's team? And you know, Chris Paul was too hard on guys, and Blake Griffin was considered soft and a flopper, and Doc and DeAndre were whining and complaining all the time, and that was a bad look, and now, you know, he got rid of those guys, came back with some others, uh, undotables, they did great, Doc relinquishes his um, basketball operational duties to Lauren Frank, and he just becomes the coach, and he has a great team with a bunch of underdogs, and overachievers. Then he goes ahead and he gets Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to go ahead with Lou Williams and Montrez Harold and these guys. And it's like, wow, talent-wise, the Clippers might be the best team in the NBA. And you see how they melted down, showed no heart, showed no fight, showed no balls, showed no nothing. And then they talked about, you know, team chemistry was wrong. And there were some players mad at Kawhi and Paul George during the season because you know, they were practicing when they wanted to practice. They were playing when they wanted to play. And the year before, the Clippers had this culture where everybody was together. Everybody was on the same page. Everybody was doing the same thing. And now Kawhi and PG come in and it's like, well, damn, man, what's up with y'all? Y'all can do whatever you want to now while we still have to do this shit. And Kawhi would probably flash his ring to be like, yeah, bitch, when you get a couple of these, come talk to me. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know with Doc in terms of some of these super talented teams that he's coached since he left the 2008 Boston Celtics. So at least you can add another nickname to Paul George Mantle. You know, Coach Killer took out one of the biggest fish in the game. Very risky move by the Clippers, though. I mean, the tandem of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they can opt out. Now, after the playoffs that PG had, I mean, that wasn't PG. That should have been rated R. I don't think any children should have been able to see that monstrosity that he did. But uh, um, I don't think Paul George has the uh, carte blanche or has the uh, game right now to be talking about, I'm going to opt out. The only reason why it would be is because after the Clippers gave everything in terms of a trade to the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder for Paul George to opt out and go somewhere else, it would be catastrophic for the Clippers. But then again, where's Paul George going to go after that playoff performance? Unless he redeemed himself greatly next season, I don't know exactly why he would opt out. And if you're Kawhi, unless, I don't know, maybe you're going to go to the Lakers or something like that. I don't know. One of the reasons why he left Orlando, um, Toronto was because he wanted to um, he wanted to be coached by Doc. Oops. He wanted to uh, get out of Toronto because of the weather in this Canada. I don't know why. And uh, he wanted to be close to home. In the offseason, he lives in San Diego. 
He has he grew up in Riverside. You know, Uncle Dennis, you know, his I don't know, man. He's up there calling the shots, so I don't know. I don't know. This is the big move for the Clippers. But uh we will find out. All right, y'all. I'm done. I'm good. I want to thank you very much for listening. Remember, I'm going to be doing my football review of week three, talk about week four on my YouTube video, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. It is 1230 at night. I have to wake up in approximately three hours. You got to do what you got to do to put together a podcast. So I thank you very much for listening. Give me some music.